Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. So welcome everybody. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Thank you so much for being here. Those are tuning in online. Thank you for being here. I'm going to continue in our last part of the series, uh, Eight Hills, but we are going to read a couple of quotes here uh, before we get into it. First, people are unrealistic, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. Be kind and merciful. Let no one ever come to you without coming away better and happier. I love that one. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. And the last one is this. I see somebody dying. I pick him up and I find somebody hungry. I I give him food. He can love and be loved. I don't look at this color His color, I don't look at his religion, I don't look at anything. Every person, whether he is Hindu, Muslim, or Buddhist, he is my brother, my sister. And of course, these are some powerful and wise words from Mother Teresa. And uh, and as we conclude this series, her words flow beautifully into uh, this eighth and final value, and that is this, everyone is valuable. So if you will, let's read all the white letters here, starting with each person, all right? Let's read it aloud. Each person is in some way a reflection of the heart of God, endowed with unique gifts and abilities and personality, and without whom the rest of us would be sorely lacking. We need one another. We need each other. And I think most of us would agree with this statement, but sadly, I don't think a lot of us really live this out in our daily lives. Meaning, we like to categorize people. It's easier to put somebody in a category than it is to look past certain things. For instance, how many like to be in front or just have a, you know, because of their job, are in front of Excel spreadsheets or Google Sheets for their job or for personal enjoyment, okay? A lot of raising hands, people are giddy. They're like, I love it. <laughs> I can see the excitement. Well, that's what we do. A lot of times we will put somebody, okay, their skin color is here, their hair color is this, they go here and here. You know, they drive this kind of car, they live in this kind of house, they cuss, they smoke, and go, they go here, here, and here, and here. And see, we'll categorize people based on what we see behaviors. We like to do that. We can't, a lot of times we can't look past any of those things. We, whether because of how we were raised or just our own filters, we categorize people. And the value, everyone is valuable, makes up some of the DNA of why and how we started Life Church. It is the reason we say around here, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. And we mean on the just don't, you know, don't stay that way part is all of us are still needing to grow. All of us are needing to grow spiritually. And we are all on path to be, being more like Jesus. We have to grow in that. There is not one of us here that has made it. We are still growing. 
You know, I'll never forget uh, the summer of 2005. I was, uh, Pastor Rich and I were just getting to know each other. We had several meetings downtown. That's where I was working at the time. And uh, we were at a restaurant and uh, again, just trying to get him to know him a little bit. And I, and I asked him, uh, how should I address you? Pastor Rich, Pastor Green, most high reverend. What, what, is the, what is the right term? He said, most high reverend would be fine. If you know Pastor Rich, he said, no, just call me Rich. And that may to you may not be a big deal at all, but for me, it was a massive, massive thing. Because that right there spoke to this value that everyone is valuable. It, 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 it doesn't mean, he goes, I'm not above you. We're, we're, in this, we're in this together. It's you and me. It's like, and that time it was. It was just my family and his family. <laughs> we're in this together. But my past had said something different. I had been under, either worked for or been under a ministry of, a pastors, of pastors who almost demanded that you called them pastor so-and-so. And in that place, you feel like I felt disconnected and not on the team, not a part of the team. I mean, he was above you. You were just a sheep. And so this was, for me, it was a big deal when he said, no, we're doing this together. And it was just a simple thing as calling him by his first name. Now, you can't call him Pat Rich, just so you know. I'm just kidding. I gotta loosen you people up today. Come on now. The, the, this value that we have uh, challenges the cultural notion of the insider outsider paradigm that we often see in church. And, as we'll see in scripture, and it's true today, the gospel has often been hindered by closed minded people standing in open doors, keeping people from getting in. This insider-outsider issue is why some of you decided to stop going to church your first year of college. It's why when you were growing up, your parents took you out of this church and never went back because of this insider-outsider mentality. And maybe it's why some of you here are, are struggling with your, with your relationships with God, with your relationship with God and just are struggling with connection because of this paradigm that we're talking about. And like today, there was a similar conflict that happened. It was about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And this is what we're going to talk about today. But here was some of the problems. First of all, it was who should be a part of the church? This was the, the, the issue and the discussion that was the debate that was happening. Secondly was how many rules do you have to keep? How good do you have to be? Finally, how much of your lifestyle do you have to clean up before you can be accepted into the church? Essentially, it was this. How do you get saved? What constitute a believer versus a non-believer? And how does a person get to heaven? These were the things that they were wrestling with because of what we're going to discuss. So this conflict is understandable because of the first followers of Jesus in this newfound faith, it was this, essentially it was an extension of Judaism. And they continued to be Jews and simply accepted Jesus as their Messiah. They didn't change. They obeyed the law of Moses and just accepted Jesus as their Messiah. And so the assumption was this, to become a follower of Jesus, 
You have to first become a follower of Moses. That was just an assumption that they had made. So if you were Jewish, there was no problem. You already obeyed the laws, and then you just accepted Jesus as Messiah, okay? However, there is a problem when there's a bunch of non-Jewish or Gentile people coming to faith in Jesus. And suddenly, they're being told, hey, first you've got to memorize all of these things, jump through these hoops, clean up your act, and then you can embrace Jesus, and then you can be a good church person. So maybe, just maybe, you're here today and you've had an experience like this. Maybe that this is a, 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 something that you experienced growing up, that these are these hoops that you have to draw, uh, jump through, that it was these rituals that you have to learn or, or memorize. These are the things that you have to do in order to become saved or to become a part of a church. Of course, there are moral demands in Scripture. We know that. And yet there is this wonderful idea of grace that creates this real tension. And that word grace is the challenge. Because we struggle with this. We currently, there is a lot of people that struggle with this because surely there is something I must do to gain God's favor. We have difficulty with this finished work and this free gift that's offered. We struggle with this because we, there has to be something that I have to do in order to earn this, right? This is the struggle that we have. So today, we're going to look at the very first church leader meeting where they're discussing a lot of these issues. Will you join me? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 15. We're going to start with verse 1. And if you don't have it, we have the verse right here. It says, certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So Judea is a part of Jerusalem and Antioch. This is like Jerusalem right here is like home base. This is where everything began. This was like, this was the, the, the catalyst for everything. Antioch was only second to that. And so Antioch was known, this is where the, those who followed Jesus or the way, this is the first Christians came out of Antioch. And so these are the two big uh, places that are having this discussion. But here's what they say. They're saying this teaching is this, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Whoa. This is a big deal, especially if you're a dude, right? They're basically saying, hey, you've got to get snipped, and you cannot become a Christian until that happens. And Paul was like, they were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. When we were at the church in, uh, uh, in, in, in one of the Galatian churches, Paul never taught that we had to be circumcised. He never taught that we had to obey the law of Moses first. What's going on? So just, just for a moment, just think about this. What if that law had continued on to this day? How many men would be joining the church? How many men would take launch step and be like, okay, I'm ready? Probably very little, right? How would our songs be? I think our songs would be sound a little bit different, right? It's like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the law of Moses. What can make me whole again? 
Obey the law and circumcision. Amazing circumcision, how sweet the sound. I will stop with those. But think about it. It is a real thing, right? Think about how if it had not been changed, the, where we would be today with the church It was a real thing for them. It was a real deal. Wait a minute, you're changing something that we've believed all of our lives. So let's pick it up in verse two. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute. This, meaning the the, the teaching that they had about circumcision, brought Paul and Barnabas into the sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go to to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now, this is pretty big deal right now because Paul is included and this is very important. Paul used to be a Pharisee and understands exactly their thought and their thinking toward uh, these, these laws. He was one of them. He obeyed everything. And here's what's important about this. Unless Paul would have had that Damascus Road experience, he would have thought just like the Pharisees. He wouldn't have had a change of mind, but because of that experience on that road, he had met Jesus. Right? He had met uh, something different. He had, he had experienced something real. And now he could go back to Jerusalem and speak from his own experience. And that's powerful. Let's move on to uh, verse four. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So Paul shows up to Jerusalem and says, hey, before we take, talk about these issues, let me give you guys a report of what's been happening. Okay, so for the last year and a half, Paul and Barnabas, we call him Barney sometimes, uh, were going around to all of these different churches. In fact, he went to Galatia, the area of Galatia, Iconium, Lystra, Perga, Cyprus, Derby, all of these places. And there were Gentiles all over these areas. And they were getting, embracing this message of Jesus. And they were starting small churches all around. But Paul hadn't been teaching them that they had to become become followers of Moses first to become Jesus followers. uh, Verse five. When some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, we'll stop there, you may forget the Pharisees were some of the people that literally put Jesus to death on the cross. And these are the people that some of them who are getting saved right now, they have ex- are following the law of Moses, but now are receiving Christ for the first time as Messiah. But the problem is here is that the, this, 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 his resurrection is messing up their spreadsheet. It's messing up the categories now because he actually is the Messiah. And now that they've joined the church, this is where the problem is. They've like, no, you have to obey the law of Moses still. You can't take that away. Let's move on. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, so to them, the law, and what you would probably understand immediately, the law is the Ten Commandments, Right? But it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. They had 613 more laws that they had to abide by. 
those 613 were divided up by 365 negative laws, and there was 248 positive laws. So there's, for every day of the week, there was a, uh, for every day of the year, there was a three, uh, a thou shalt not, okay? And this is how they reg- literally regulated every aspect of their life, whether it's 613 plus the 10 commandment laws that they had to live by. So this is in essence what they're saying here. They say, your value to God and the church is only as good as your ability to follow the rules. This is what they're saying. Let me read it again. Your value to God and the church is only as good as your ability to follow the rules. I know it's hard for us to understand this in current times, in our current culture. But if you had been there, raised and surrounded by this from birth, this would be a different outlook. We, we would kind of feel like, wait a minute, I've had to do this all my life and all you're saying is to these Gentiles is like all you have to do is accept Jesus and you don't have to go through all these classes, you don't have to recite all of these things. What? What? It's like if someone were to say that, you know, they, understand, they understood the meaning of a movie after just watching the trailer. I mean, they, they didn't see the, the character development. They didn't see the setup. They didn't see how they were moving from one nuanced story to the next. They didn't see all that. Now they're saying, oh yeah, we get it. We got it all. We got the whole picture. And they were slighted. The Pharisees were slighted. I mean, they were just basically like, you can't just get saved only by believing in Jesus. You've got to know the law. This was the problem. And this is what they were having a problem with. And if you've been in the church any length of time, this kind of thinking starts creeping in. It's subtle, but over time, the more you're in the church and the more you're, you know, Sister Lou, who better than you kind of thing, if you're not careful, you settle into your own version of Christianity and we become, we become just like the Judaizers. Let's read verse seven. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, and I'll come back to that and what that means, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Verse eight, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Now what Peter is referring to is uh, he, he had met several people who were Gentiles, specifically like Cornelius in the Bible. This is Acts 10. Cornelius is somebody who, uh, he was a centurion, but he was also infatuated kind of like with Jewish law. So even though he wasn't uh, Jewish, he followed some of their rules because he just had a fascination with them. And for some of these people, including Peter, it was okay. But when Cornelius met Peter, his life was changed. He accepted Jesus as Messiah immediately. And for those Pharisees who were like, oh, I don't know, they were okay because he was at least interested in Jewish law, okay? And so Peter is talking about uh, this story and kind of fills in the gaps with some other people, like there was a eunuch involved in there too. But he says in verse eight, God who knows the heart. Here's the thing, I don't know the heart. You don't know the heart. Only God knows the heart. I just know your behavior, I don't know your heart. I just see what you posted on social media. I'm not looking at anybody. I don't, I don't know your heart. I, I see how you respond to your kids and your spouse. There's only one person that knows 
your heart, and that is God. God knows your heart, and I'm glad he's the one that knows and not me. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them. Who's them? These are the law-breaking people. By giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. In verse nine, he, God, did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? I mean, get this. Peter like sees over there, he goes, hey, Kevin, I see you back there and you're a good Jewish boy, but haven't you broken the law? Because I saw you at the temple and you were making sin offerings. And he's like, yeah, 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 well, sometimes I mess up. But these, these, these laws are crazy. Like one of the laws that you had to follow was that you could not carry a fig. It was this specific. You could not carry a fig on the Sabbath. It was that detailed. There was other crazy things, like you couldn't have, you couldn't wear a comb on a certain, in a certain side of your head, it had to be on a different side. It was wild. And so Peter's like, we don't even keep the law. Why are you asking this, this, these new people, these Gentiles, to do something and require them to do something that we can't even do? You're hypocrites. Why would you put on somebody, and they, they, the word is yoke here, why would you put on somebody else that you yourself can't even do? And this is what they're saying. This is what Peter's saying here. Verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord, thank you God for grace, Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We are saved by grace, the grace of Jesus, amen? He's the only one who knows our hearts and because of that, here's what you need to know. God can purify your heart before you purify your life. Let me say it again. God can purify your heart before you purify your life. This is about our behavior and he can do it. He can do it. So again, this is why we say, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. And so James, the brother of Jesus, stands up and comes to this conclusion. This is what he says. This is James, right? Brother Jesus. It is my judgment. In other words, it's final. Therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Okay? It's not about you. I'm sorry to burst that bubble. But it is about the person who is not here yet. It's not about us. Verse 20. Instead, we should write to them, who is them, the Gentiles, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So if you can picture this, <laughs> this gruesome line, <laughs> this administrator is writing, okay. All right, I'm, t- I'm taking notes. I've got it. Okay, there's a three. Now, what's number four? And he's like, nope. James is like, no, that's it. Wait, 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 wait a minute. There are 613 of these, and you have just now boiled them down. You've reduced them down to three, and really, it's two. It's, it's try not to offend the Jews with re- religious rituals and abstain from sexual immorality. immorality that's it. 
And James is like, yeah, that's it. Don't offend. Try not to offend, right? Do your best not to offend those around there when you're doing your rituals. And the same for sexual immorality. That's it. That's powerful. That's a huge shift and change for them. So let's read verse 30. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message, especially the men. So what's this encouraging message? Well, this is where we get our eighth value. Everyone is valuable. Everyone is valuable. Everyone is worth it. We need you. We need our neighbors. We need your gifts. We need your talents. We need your stories. So I think this interaction in the book of Acts challenges us in three ways. And the first one is this. We need to stand for the outsider. We need to resist being self-centered and we need to think and act missionally. Missionally, that word missionally is just be going out. Telling our story to our neighbors and, and our friends and our family and just sharing what God has done in our life. Serving others, that's what that word means. Number two, we need to stand for grace over law. Now, I'm not talking about changing theology. This is a very practical thing. It's the natural drift of a church is to have a lot of policies. We have a lot, you know, put them in categories, just like what we talked about. But we as a church are going to resist that. We're going to resist putting people in categories and creating policies around that. You know, Jesus was not about categories. He was about relationship and he was about uh, conversation. And I believe churches that are okay with the messiness of life will experience this amazing merger of uncom uncompromised truth and the fullness of this word. And here's the word again, grace. It's the fullness of grace. Number three, we need to stand for advancing rather than uh, preserving. We need to stand for advancing rather than preserving. How many, uh, just by show of hands, how many business owners do we have in, in your life have, you know, that you've created a business or anything like that? Okay, yep, a few of you. You know when you're just starting to create this company, you have zero, <laughs> you have nothing. And so you risk it all. There's nothing, you, there's nothing for you to lose if you don't have anything to start with, right? So you're just risking, you're risking it all. You're like, all right, I'm gonna sign for this loan, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna get this, you know, these, this building, I'm gonna get these, these, these uh, you know, this equipment, I'm gonna do all of this in order to make my dream come true. But what happens is this business does really, really well and it starts to grow. And now you got more employees and now you got more debt and now you got more land and now you got more things. What happens is, is you don't lose those things. And now you start becoming risk averse and there's not a much more advancement anymore. Now you're preserving. Now you're shrinking. Now you're protecting. Now you're trying to not lose what you've built. So we want to stand. And this is, this is just like our church. From the very beginning, all we had was vision. And I think Pastor Rich has his gray hair mostly because of me. Uh, partly because I was just like, hey, we have nothing to lose. Let's go for it. 
hey, you're standing on the, if you're not standing on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Let's throw it all in. Let's do it. Let's make this. We did the craziest things. Now, we don't regret any of those things, and I feel like they were God birthed. It wasn't like, you know, it was just something I, you know, bad, had bad pizza or something, and it just came to my mind. But there's something that happens when there is, that when we're, we're resisting this idea of protection and preserving. When God says, okay, let's move, let's take the risk, let's stop protecting all of this stuff and make decisions based on fear and start making decisions based on faith. All right, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to make two commitments with me. The first one is this, err on the side of grace. You guys, we have been forgiven much. God has blessed us more than we could ever think or imagine. And let us offer this grace to those that we come in contact with. Aren't you glad God saw your heart long before you were able to fix yourself? And we often do not give the same courtesy to those in our life. I wanna leave you with one final quote from Mother Teresa, and I love this. I love that she uses this word because we've been talking about the thems. Each one of them is Jesus in disguise. Who are the thems in your life and who can we touch and who can we offer grace to and share our story with? So err on the side of grace and number two, remain open-handed. I know if you've seen me worshiping ever around here, you'll see me, typically my posture is this, and it's, it's something I've learned. It's, a, it's, a, it's something I want to do on a regular basis because it causes me to think, God, I'm not in control. You're in control. I mean, it's awkward when I'm walking around Walmart and Target like this too, but, you know, it happens. I'm just kidding. You guys, loosen up. Come on now. Come on now. I mean, I could. It'd just be weird. All right. We don't often get to share all of what that's going on. We do our best to share, but there's salvation that's happening, healings that are happening, marriages being restored, addictions that are broken. This is happening week in and week out. And I'm just so thankful to be a part where life transformation is happening. And that's because we've chosen as a church to be, we wanna live this out open-handed. God gives, he restores, but he's also taking He's taking the stuff that we don't need in our life away. And sometimes that hurts. There's pruning that happens that is not fun. So let's err on the side of grace and remain open-handed. Amen?